Okay, guys, welcome to another episode of Clubhouse Conversations. I am your host, Simon Thornton. Uh, today's guest uh, has come with a wealth of experience with time playing in the US, Germany, uh, and Hermes, sandwiched between two stints with Pembroke. She's also represented Dublin in football and is soon to be a doctor. Joining me in the clubhouse today is Sinead Lochran. Sinead, welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no problem. Happy to get you on. Um, look, well, we're going to dive straight in here. Uh, we've done this with everybody and literally take us back to the very, very start of your playing, uh, playing career back when you were a kid. What was it like? How did you start? Right. Started? Uh, no pressure if the, the details. Of it. <laughs> um, okay, so I started, I suppose, in uh, my dabble in secondary school. Uh, my best friend actually at the time was, uh, she was in Pembroke actually, and um, she was always getting me out and I kind of didn't really have any interest because I was playing um, up all the time, Geo. You know? um, eventually, I kind of just picked it up in school and yeah, kind of snowballed from there. I think I started around, oh, it's been like properly around 14. What is that? Like the minor kind of, it's that second year here. Um, yeah, something like that. And I kind of just kind of kept going from there. Yeah. And just the whole way. Yeah. Man, Anvil. Uh as a i'm still in man anvil so you know yeah. <laughs> who are you yeah coaching. are you coaching up there yep coaching up there and Orla's back there at the moment as well so yeah we've been oh, that's class uh great school that's good setup school. was mave yeah there at the time i mean mave's probably been there since the beginning so beginning of time. um mccarthy miss mccarthy yeah Oh, I, she was the best. Oh, we had Miss McCarthy and, um, sorry, Maeve McCarthy and uh, Claudia Tierney. Uh, those are the two kind of main coaches growing up and they were, they were brilliant. Like they were ruthless, which was kind of what you needed in that kind of environment. Um, yeah, they were, they were really, really good. So I think there's, no Claudia's not there. I think it's named after, but I think Miss McCarthy's still there. Oh, she maybe. Is. Yeah. Still in charge. Still ruthless. Uh, yeah. You, you always want her on your side, but you never want to cross her. Oh. She's gas. She's so funny. She came in our fourth series trip and she was just a hoot. Like. Yeah, she's a legend. And we'll, we'll yeah. probably stand as a legend again as well because that, that Man Anvil program Absolutely. just produced some serious, serious winning ability, I suppose. Yeah, I know. And even to borrow her phrase, stickability, because there's so many Man Anvil kids that just continue playing, even at like lower levels. They just keep going. They just love the sport. Yeah, yeah, they do actually. It's a good setup. Yeah. Very lucky. So then from Mount Anvil, did you start playing like uh, Phillies and stuff at that age or did you just play in school? I only played in school. I didn't really, I was, I was banning the two sports at the time. So GA football and, and hockey all the way up until I was about 16. And I did like Leinster under 16s and that was really it. I think I did it for two years maybe. Um, and I didn't really have any time or interest to go play in club I suppose I didn't really understand the concept of it either uh, I just kind of was just happy out doing the um the Saturday mornings with 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 school and then I'd have probably Sunday Saturday afternoons with with GAA so that was really what I did so when did you then probably make the step to club because you would have been one of the few you're maybe one of the few that you know hasn't sort of come up through the club system as well as the school system um, when did I step through? Um, so I went Pembroke, I think for like three months prior to going to the States. So the States are leaving cert. Um, and I went over to the to UNC in North Carolina in 
I think I started in the January. So you can come in like midway through the year, but actually start your year then. Um, so I played in Pembroke when I was 18 from about August until December. And then I left. So I only played there and then because I wanted school, but I wanted to keep playing hockey. And I had a few friends on the Pembroke team, so it kind of was a natural fit to go there. Um, so just to kind of keep my yeah my hockey ticking over prior to going to the States. That was it. Sure. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I think we talked about this. I remember I was sort of just probably the year ahead of you, I think. I'm only about a year older than you. And I would have been there. Okay sort of coming into the the ones and twos sort of set up at the same time so kind of remember you and like uh, okay noel and stuff at the yeah same. yeah 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 so there was like that little sort of overlap period would have been right where there was kind of like winning tro- trophies and stuff and was and nats i think was in charge of the team at the time yep yeah nats was there jilly was still there alice was there Haley was there yeah there was still a good few like some of the ogs i would say are still there still there now as well yeah <laughs> just be nice. going strong yeah it must be a nice little loop back but how did you balance the the football and the and the hockey then growing up and we've we've had a couple of multi-sport athletes on and very much stood to everyone's benefit playing playing as long as you can doing both sports how did you find it uh i feel like it was just all i really knew um like when i was younger it was so good they drive me out train and then it was normally over in like Blanchard Sound or something I think at underage um, or sometimes out in Ballymun Kickums like it, but there was no it was literally all I knew I, I don't think I ever really thought twice about it Um, it obviously got more challenged as I got older Um, you know and more of the kind of like I suppose the medicine and, and all that got challenging with it but when actually it was all I knew I just kind of I just did it I didn't think really Um, yeah and, and like even I know they talk about lo- overloading like players and athletes uh, who are dual sport, but I don't think I ever had an issue. Um, I think, yeah, there was never, it was never so intense. Maybe it's, you know, it's more intense these days with SNC getting introduced earlier. Like I touched that and to the States. I suppose maybe I just was on the appropriate load and never had a problem with it. Yeah, I suppose if you're only in school, then you've kind of got your two sessions a week on Saturday. You don't have pull from the junior club playing your like under 16 games on a Sunday and then going out and now you're old enough to play senior so you're getting pulled into the adult mm-hmm. as well and now you've got three different yeah. just in the one in the one sport pulling you you can literally just go yeah football cool play both uh was it yeah. football? was it football or was there commotion there as well no, no no my club um so my club started when I was in primary school um so it was only football and only girls um but the other thing now that you say it actually that I remember is when I was growing up in school they allowed you to play up so if I was a junior player I was never allowed to play senior they brought it in on my very last junior year and I was allowed to play up one or two matches yeah. um so Miss Tierney kind of wouldn't let it wouldn't let you do it so I suppose maybe that helped as well and also like I have mentioned like I wasn't playing club I was strictly playing school yeah. so it completely minimized my commitments if that makes sense yeah absolutely I think it's it's we need to look at more of those sort of different approaches because I think we are probably pounding people into the pavement a little too much. Um, oh my God, absolutely, yeah. There's, there's so, like, don't get me wrong. Like, even America, you mentioned America. Like, you see how much, like, they play and train and stuff and you can kind of see that, you know, there is a lot that the human body can do. But we're still, yeah. we haven't, I don't think we've quite fi- found it right. And now you've got 
off. You're in the Leinster as well. You've now got not weekly sessions for months in advance of a tournament and stuff. And I know onto everything. And it's all the same sport as well. It's not like there's a couple of different sort of stimulus there. That you yeah. Know, it's all the same sport. It's on a hockey pitch. Even the mental fatigue of just, oh, I'm back on a hockey pitch again. And if that's happening, I know. Like, I can only imagine. I know. I know. 25, 30. I know. Um, yeah, no, I used to do s with some of the UCD soccer lads and they'd be getting pulled left, right and centre. You know, they club, they had uh, maybe international age and then they had um, like UCD stuff. That, like it was just, they were getting pulled left, right and centre. It was all, like I felt for them. And then it was up to me to monitor their load because they were literally training nearly seven days a week. Yeah. Um, pretty intense at that age when you're trying to actually have a childhood as well or like, a, like to actually try to be a teenager, it's tough. There's a there's a, a lot that you can do, or you're gonna break yeah. and try to do it all. Um, yeah. In the sport, so uh, we'll jump down to America, UNC, mm-hmm. University of North Carolina, arguably like yeah. one of the most famous colleges, sports colleges, I think. Right there, like they're always up there, basketball. Yeah. Basketball and. Um. Yeah, basketball with Michael Jordan. Uh, he went there. Um. And then in terms of the hockey, yeah, it'd be one of the best programs. They just won the national championship. What day are we on? Tuesday. Uh, they won the national championship on Sunday. Um, it got changed to the spring schedule this year. So I think that could be the third or fourth year in a row they've won it. So yeah, they, they it's technically, it's one of the feeder teams for um, the US team. So they're pretty good. Yeah. So eyes on them all the time. Yeah um how did you find being in that environment switching from switching from irish to the irish sort of system and then into like the intensity of an american program how did you find that transition it was definitely a culture shock um you know you're training six days a week and twice on a tuesday and to make up for that lost day on a sunday um it was very very intense i'm not gonna lie um but eventually just um sorry i'll turn off eventually you just kind of sing it with and just get stuck in and it's it's really really good like you just everyone around you is going to do the same thing and pushing through and it's just it's phenomenal it not only kind of developed your athletic ability but it helped you learn how to balance your academics with it because you're essentially a full-time athlete in a in a professional setup a professional program and then you have your degree in the back so um yeah it was it was phenomenal coach was, was something else as well I think her father had been in the army so she was very military in her mindset so yeah you didn't cross her <laughs> I imagine as a yeah come across a few of them over, over a time and they're very black and white and mm. gotta be by the book early late yes or on- yeah, that was her favorite phase if you're on time if you're on time you're late she even had us train with navy seals in preseason at one point which was very intense some experience though so what what uh what are some of your sort of overriding memories from from that time obviously you said it's like training as a basically as a professional athlete which is probably yeah. the reason why it's 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 worth encouraging maybe encouraging people over if it's something that they're interested in especially if they have aspirations to play up because mm-hmm. nowhere in ireland really at club level unless you get into the national team that you can get that sort of experience really or your class. yeah yeah the hoof the class or something but those are even <laughs> far between so what yeah what what was your what was your sort of overriding experience there um 
look, I think it's really, really intense. Well, certainly the the college I was in, but it's it's it was so good. Like, God, it's even hard to just like equate it to a setup over here. Like, you literally, I suppose the resources were so good that you had just training your day on an immaculate pitch. You had doctors, you had physios, you had everything you needed. The weight room was just insane. Like, I don't know, like it was it was just massive, um, huge. It was like double decker. Like it was the whole experience was amazing. Um, I suppose I, I definitely had to learn my mission because going over there, you know, food selection and stuff. I definitely had what we call the freshman 15. That's right. You gain like at least 15 pounds your freshman year because there's just so much food available to you and they feed you like no other as well. Um, food card, right? You just go in and tap. Yeah. Yeah. The student food card. So you can do like unlimited meals, which is what uh, we all got. And you just like, I hadn't a clue. Like I was eating bowls of granola thinking it was healthy. And the nutritionist was like, that's what I tell my, the NFL lads to eat. I was like, oh, <laughs> whoops. Um <laughs> But yeah, it was just, it's an experience. Um, and it's just something that you have to, I think, do to really kind of get a, kind of appreciated, I guess. You know, it was just, it's not for the light art. Well, that team anyway. I know other, I can't speak for the other programs, but that team, yeah. Um, they'll kill you for four years, but it'll be the best experience of your life. Yeah, fair. And, and were you guys, did you guys have success while you were there as well? You mentioned that like they're one of the top, were they one of the top then? Uh, yeah, we got to the final nearly every year. Oh, I never actually won. Oh, oh no. it was so destroying. But we won, um, like, you know, the, like the regionals. So like, you have like Leinster, Ulster, Munster, whatever. Um, so we won our region, which was called the ACC. So we won that every single year. Um, so we were always like in the final or top contenders. Yeah. So that you win that, then you get into uh, play your like playoffs and stuff. And then you go into the NCAA tournament. Is that right? So you have, it depends on your ranking. Um, so winning the ACCs helps you to be a host for the first round of the NCAAs, which is what we were always aiming for. Um, but the final, sorry, the top 16 tend to go through to the NCAAs and it's based on your ranking. So even if you've done, if you've done well throughout the season, you're most likely get into that tournament. They only select the top 16 that go through. Um, and if you're higher up, it means you're going to most likely host, um, the first round of the NCAA tournament. If that makes sense. Yeah. So you get you you're kind of playing for your home advantage and that gives you a better chance. Yeah. Better chance of moving on to the finals. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. Um so then while you were over there, because I know we've talked about this, you did a bit of SNC stuff. What was your what was I suppose what was your major and how did you then get into some of that like over there? Was that just part of your course taking up experience or or where where did that come in? I came in after, so I finished up at UNC, it's called like communications, it's basically, if I'm being completely honest here, it's basically a degree you do when you've absolutely no idea what you want to do, and I hadn't, I hadn't a clue, like there are girls going in, like knowing exactly what they wanted, and fair play to them, I just hadn't the rushers, like I had no idea, so I did that dream home, um, and I actually did a master's in UCD in coaching and exercise science, and I loved the exercise science part of it, and I do believe that that was probably because of my exposure to SNC as an undergrad in UNC. Um, so I then did that master's and then I went over to Maryland and got a job um, as an SNC coach University of Maryland, which is kind of just outside Washington, DC. Um, and I did that for a couple of months, but that's when I kind of was dripping in and out, not dripping in and out, sorry. I was paying for Hermes 
during that year of the Masters. And then Sharpie at the time was the, the head coach of Ireland. And he kind of, I think I had, was on his radar. Yeah. And I left to go to Maryland. He was like, look, if you want to play for Ireland, you have to come home. So I made the decision after, I think, I think it was December. Um, after working since August in, in Maryland, I came home and I was like, look, I have, it's kind of like a one shot thing. I can't just kind of let this pass. So I came home. So had they, had they been keeping an eye on you while you were in UNC or was it just, was it your year back with Hermes that kind of got you on their radar? Yeah, I think it was my year back with Hermes because at the time it was only me, Roshan Upton, Megan Fraser was a year ahead of me, I think. Um, uh, Rebecca Barry, uh, who else? Emma Russell, Jill went over. Like there wasn't many Irish over there. So I don't think that any athletes were on any international radar unless they played underage, which I didn't. So I don't think I came onto his radar until I came back and started playing for Hermes. Okay. And then that first year with Hermes. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course, of course. But then that first year with Hermes, was that, was that, were you guys winning then as well? Were you already in that sort of, uh, like they what won for a couple of years in a row. They're pretty, pretty dominant before UCD took over. Yeah. Was that, was that already in that first year that you were there? I can't remember. We definitely won the league and the EYHL or well, it was whatever it was back then. Um, we won that year. I'm pretty sure. There was a couple of weekends. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Like it was a great team. Um, and like we had a few, I think we had Emma Gray and, um, Onya Connery were like our internationals at the time, but we had like loads of good players. It's a great team. Fast. And you've come off the back of four years of like a full professional setup basically. So you're in yeah, and off flying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, I suppose just the, the structure and the way you play can sometimes be a little different in the States and the terminology I used to always get, um, slagged for saying the cage instead of the goal or the field instead of the pitch or just like some of the terminology I'd use for structure I would just get they just crap out of me fair enough though it was warranted yeah you get ripped apart. <laughs> a similar experience when I went to Australia yeah. like what are you talking about man <laughs> I know like what is a out path thing I'm like I don't know what's that <laughs> right back left back let's keep it simple here I know I know yeah exactly yeah um then how was that transition then back from there where like everything is sort of on a plate for you to to a lot like foods there medics are there Mm -hmm. everything's there how did you transition back home how did you find that transition back because clubs don't have that here yeah it was tough i remember thinking god like it there's just there's not enough training there's not enough snc there's not enough like um pitch time or team time um but I suppose when I step back and like realize I was like, look, people are playing this for fun, which a club system in America, it's coming up now, but it's never really a thing. They kill you for four years and you either in college and you either move on um, with your life and you never touch a hockey stick again, which is just insane. You literally from 100 miles an hour ago, or you go on to the national team. That was their, that's really their only option. Whereas in Ireland, I, I suppose I've, I'd never played clubs. So I, for, I for wasn't aware really that people play this sport for fun. It's a social sport. So of course people aren't going to give up seven days a week for this, like, which is completely understandable. Um, so yeah, definitely an adjustment. I still have great crack, like, it's really good. Right. Yeah. 
I could actually go out, you know, and have a few drinks and not have the fear of God of the coach breathing down your neck, like asking you how much you drank or what, or if you drank, like because there are dry seasons over in the States. But yeah, a bit more liberal back in Ireland, which is nice. Dave, did you go nuts? Uh, I can't remember. I do think I frequented coppers quite a lot <laughs> with a few of my teammates, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good fun being back. Nice. I suppose that little bit freeing. And then you go back to the States and then the Irish team call. Um, you, mm-hmm. back, you went back straight into Hermes then, picked up the next season, or did you go home at Christmas and pick it back up for the second half of the season? How did that unfold? Um, how did it unfold? I actually can't remember. Um, I think I just went straight back into Hermes. Yeah. I actually can't remember now. Yeah, pretty sure. Like I, there was nowhere else I was going. So yeah, I would have gone straight back into Hermes. And then and straight into the, uh, like, Obviously, Sharpie's saying there, you know, come on back. We want to have a look at you. So do you, when you mm. go back, you go straight back into, do you join them up straight away? Or is there again? Yes. Period? No, I remember joining them straight away. Um, and then that's when I literally got my, so I joined them, I think in the January, they started training. And then we had like beep tests in February. And then we had the GB series, which is where I got my first like fake cap. Because they're none of those, those kind of, GB series against Ireland uh, in March. They have them every year, but I believe they're uncapped and it was uncapped in my time. So they're my first fake caps. And then that's when I had the whole rigmarole of my first cap getting called out to New Zealand in April. Um, so yeah, within a few months, I kind of was. So you broke up a little bit there, but tell us about that. So you, you, your first official cap was against New Zealand, but yeah. you played multiple times already in those uncapped series. So, yeah, I played the GB Uncap series. I think there were like three games. And then in April, I went, I had to join the team. I wasn't initially in the in the squad of 18, but I had to fly out. There was like a Four Nations Cup in New Zealand and I flew out and my first cap was against China. So um, that was definitely an experience. Wow. It was a bit mad. Yeah. yeah. Um, tell, us a bit, tell us a bit about that. Like. Of all the places so, that I pulled out to, New Zealand, literally just... I, I know, I know. It was very lucky. Um, so I wasn't in the selected squad to, of 18 to go to New Zealand. Like, I was only in the door, what, three, not even three months at this point. Yeah. And I actually, m- myself and my mum decided to go to the Canary Islands uh, just to give them a week off. And um, after, like, an intense couple months of trying to get into the Irish setup. So we were on the beach and um, I saw Graham Shaw was calling and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I was like, I'm in Spain. I'm going to be in so much trouble. Because um, I just felt like maybe I should be home training or something. I wasn't, there was nothing on per se. Um, just felt nearly guilty for being in the Canary Islands. Anyway, um, I ignored his call first off and then he called again and I answered it. And he was like, um, where are you? And I was like, um... <laughs> I'm in Grand Canary and he was like oh shit okay um well we need you to come to New Zealand and I was like what and he was like we we need you to come out to New Zealand I think they'd had injuries I think Shirley had broke her hand and Mimi had a concussion so there were players down for like a fairly intense tournament um so I said okay right, uh, I'll get on the next flight home so I managed to get me and my mum got like literally the last two seats on a Ryanair flight home landed at night and I flew out to New Zealand via Dubai the next day so I think I left on like a Wednesday, got to New Zealand on a Friday and played my first cap against China on the Saturday. Um, 
so yeah it was it was definitely a unique experience yeah yeah also like totally flies in the face of most like good uh strength and conditioning and and physiology yes don't play the day after a long haul flight Mm -hmm. and that was a it was only i think the dubai to new zealand was something like seven and a half hours um so i i had made sure to contact the snc coach though um to be like look i'm gonna flip my sleeping schedule i knew to myself that i had to do that as fast as possible to get the best kind of recovery as possible so i just did that fair enough and and then (laughs) did you play the full tournament then yeah played the tournament yeah not a bother it's fine Tough. yeah i was a young spring chicken back then so it's fine <laughs> fair some story in uh, about your entry like that's in the space of what four three four months that's incredible yeah yeah and makes it good quick for, for stuff like this perfect so then <laughs> uh going on then from there that's you in or then are you sort of floating in and out after that for the next little while or did that kind of get you in there and stamp your stamp your sort of make your mark um i suppose I was never really like a first team player, if that makes sense. Like I was never going to be completely like a guaranteed selection, if that makes sense. Like that was never me throughout the whole process. Okay. Um, so I guess I floated in the night, but I played loads of tournaments, got selected for various tournaments um, throughout my time with Ireland. So but like I'm, I'm very well aware, like I wasn't like the top, top player by any means. But yeah, I got selected a few times and didn't get selected a few times. And how did you do that? Were you aware of that at the time and were able to kind of sort of shrug it off? Or were you were you like, why am I not getting selected? How do I get further in? Like, what's the story? Or were you kind of like, eh, I'm pretty happy getting in these? Um, I didn't mind for the first while because I completely understood that I was I was new in. Like I understood that experience could go a long way. But then I suppose as time moves on, you kind of get a bit like, well, why am I getting selected? But um, you kind of have to push through and like that's the whole difficulty with international sport it is really really competitive and you have to be prepared for that um, it's not you know you, you go from being at a club level you are potentially a big fish in a small pond and then when you're an international you're small fish big pond kind of type thing so you do have to be aware that you have to work really really hard which I did um, and in fairness like I, I did play a lot yeah um, like I did get selected for a lot of tournaments, but you know, it's competitive and coaches select people for different reasons. And it might not be the same reason the whole time. And I think you have to just respect it and try to move on as different as it is. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah you're, you're talking, you're getting up there. And like, if it's, it's not, it's not easy. If it was, everyone would be doing it. Like you're exactly, you're, you are going from a small pond to a shark tank and like everyone is a shark. Yeah. You are all yeah. the best of your sport, so it's understandable. Um, did you like uh, mentally then? Like you obviously you become pretty resilient playing in America, I imagine. So did that help you out then being in that in that setup and, and coming in and out a little bit, or did you have to mm-hmm. get dealing with it, or or were you, were you literally just you had that resilience already? How was that? I think I was fairly resilient for the first while, definitely. But then towards my latter years of Ireland, you'd get kind of, it's just way more difficult. Um, and I suppose that's because you're just, you're, when you're in the environment, it's hard to take a step back and then look at the, the bigger picture. It can be because it's so competitive and it's nearly become, you're nearly becoming defined by it, if that makes sense. Like it's nearly becoming a part of your identity. Whereas 
so that like if you don't get selected you nearly feel like it's a, a slash against your identity Does that makes sense so yeah it was it was definitely tough in the latter years but at the start like you can't turn to roll with it but it just got a lot more difficult as time went on I would have said yeah that's understandable I suppose again we're also amateur sports so there's a time commitment there as well and you're investing yeah you're not getting rewards so at the time at that time debt mm-hmm. built up I suppose there's also that of like I'm putting all this in I'm an Irish player mm-hmm. when is my time to become one of those that bunch that's sure of it because now I have the experience and all that I'm sure that yeah adds uh, starts to add up as you go um, yeah definitely like when you are giving like blood sweat and tears every weekend I I'll be honest like I you completely sacrifice your social life as well a lot of my friends I didn't see for a long time like I fell off the face of the earth um from both growing up playing GAA and hockey and not having a lot of time then going to the states and then going straight into international like your social life and a lot of like what you should be doing as a teen and that'll like growing up like it is sacrificed and I suppose that wears you a little bit as well I think and that's why it probably becomes a little harder as you get older because you realize you're sacrificing things and you're turning and looking at your friends and they're kind of getting on with their life and you you've literally put your life on hold um for sport so when you don't get selected I think sometimes it can hurt that bit much more because or like I'm literally sacrificing everything to get the selection and they don't come. You're like, Jesus, I've just put like three years on hold. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So there's so been a, like, there's part of it of like, you know, maybe there's some stuff that, that there's that FOMO of like, I'm missing out on some of these things. Some of those things, like I know with my mates particularly, like, okay, I wasn't playing a high level, but I thought I was close enough for a long time that I was trying to get there. So I put everything into yeah. it into playing coaching yeah just being on a pitch as much as i could there are some things that i missed out on or i did wasn't there for there's a lot of drinking there was a lot of partying and stuff like that (laughs) looking back i actually don't is it actually probably possibly a good thing maybe there's too much of that in particularly irish young culture that maybe Mm -hmm. that actually although you missed it maybe to some degree it's for the better that maybe actually some of that stuff isn't necessary for for to do that, that back then but then at the same time you do have to grow up and make your own mistakes and and sort of experience all that yeah. as well to become a rounded human so it's kind of i don't know about yeah. a balance that needs to be struck as well you know you get yeah to- i definitely agree yeah um like i think I think it's exactly what you're saying it is. It's a FOMO. You might not actually be missing out on much. You're missing out like a couple of nights out here and there. Like nights out will always be there. I think it's the idea that you're missing spending time with people. It's not necessarily maybe the act of going out and having a few drinks or, you know, going like all the girls did like J1s or those kind of things. Like it's not actually missing physical things. It's missing the social element, I think was was difficult for me it wasn't the fact that I didn't get to go drinking like I you know and you'd have drinks like trust me the hockey girls can bloody put away the pints when they need to um but yeah I think it was more kind of like FOMO like you're you're saying um it's a sacrifice that you have to do as an athlete because it's about one percent um the one percent gains and yeah I suppose you know sleep nutrition they are part of the one percent so you have to it's part of the sacrifice also a great thing you know you get it I, I've made so many friends out of it um 
you know, and I'm 30 now and I feel great. Um, you know, so they're definitely positive doing it. It's not all negative, like at all. Yeah, for sure. Like, I suppose that's, that is the thing there. Like, you know, it's the J1s, it's the three months traveling. It's all of those life experiences that others have. Maybe you start seeing a friend group who are still like, who are still close now. And it's like, because you, but you would have been close with them at the start. All of a sudden now mm -hmm. still in contact, like 10 years later, and you're kind of like, oh, well, I'm kind of in touch with them, but they're actually like a really good friend mm -hmm. because they've had that life experience while you've been doing this, I suppose. But then, yeah. And there's hockey mates that you will be close with until you're like 70 because of the experiences and share yeah as well so who's to say definitely so then when did your sort of time with ireland come to an end have you not put a cap on it it's just that medicine and stuff took over when you're playing i appreciate if you don't want to like <laughs> no that's okay okay um but um so when did it uh, it kind of so in in the course that i'm doing your first two years are on campus so i'm in uh Limerick, uh, it's a postgraduate four-year program so your first two years are on campus so it's it's kind of easy to fairly like be like look i can't attend that class because i'm on you know i'm going on a series whatever um like to spain and they're like yeah grand just do your work you're fine it's like fine in clinical years rolled around which is your final two years um, I remember calling one of the coaches at the time and I was like, look, you're about to, it was after the World Cup, they were going to go full time. And I just called her and I said, look, I'm, I'm unsure if I can do full time. I don't want to take a year out of medicine. Um, you know, I'm going into clinical years. I can't just take three days off a week because it'll impact, you know, your learning, and your clinical experience and your career. And like if you take three weeks off, or sorry, three days off a week, um, you know, you do not have enough clinical exposure that the medical council will clear you. And that's completely understandable because you're dealing, you know, with people's lives, essentially, when you graduate. You know, you can't just say, oh, well, sorry, I don't know what to do with you here because I actually missed that in my clinical skills. You know, you, you can't do so. I just kind of called her and I said that and she said, OK, yeah, fair enough. Um, and I kind of just fizzled out then, I guess. There was no real... Um, Sinead's leaving it was just like okay that's it I think there was a there was a coach changeover as well so it was probably you and know so not a little bit yeah like there's no real okay yeah you're, you're I don't know it, it didn't feel very definitive but it was definitely I I knew myself I was like I can't keep going with it um, especially because they were full-time and it required you to be full-time and I said I just you know, I, I don't think I was going to be one of the paid players. I think they, I can't remember the system they're doing. They were paying some of the players and I I wasn't going to be some paid players. And I was like, realistically, it's not worth my time. Um, they were starting to train for an Olympics. And I said, look, like, am I really going to get down to the final 16? Probably not. Do I really want to like delay my medical career further? And I just waited up and I said, no, it's not worth it anymore. Um, like it, it kind of, it kind of run its course, you know, um, that was really it. And have you shut the door on that now that you're potentially qualified very, very soon? Uh, would you try to make another push, a late push again? Or are you kind of happy get stuck into medicine now and start practicing and play some club hockey to a high level and that's enough? Um, yeah, I'd probably just stick with the club. Like, I, number one, I don't think I've been near good enough anymore um, to play international. I think he's... Um, I think Sean Dancer's new coach. I think he's mainly looking at the kind of keeping it younger um, and reducing your career span. 
I could be very wrong in that, um, but it kind of seems that way, that he's kind of getting new athletes. You come in, you get your job done for a couple of years and you leave. Um, so I don't think I would have the ability to play international, but definitely would. I'll keep playing until I can't. You know, I'm not someone to sit still. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be time for it. Uh, my career as a doctor, hopefully, if all goes well, results. Um, and that'll take up a lot of time and stuff as well. So, um, yeah. sure be odd shifts and stuff. And I haven't seen a couple of doctors come through. Like it's it yeah. difficult to balance at the best of times, let alone being an international. I know. Um, so mm. then, look, I suppose then reflecting a little bit, what's your, maybe what's your prou- proudest moment? What's your favorite moment? What's your favorite experience from having played for Ireland? Um, I think my first cap was definitely, it has to be a highlight. It was such a whirlwind of experience. It was amazing. Um, the World Cup qualifiers in South Africa was an experience as well. I love that. Um, and I just made so many friends and they're going to be lifelong friends as well. Um, and I think that's invaluable in, in kind of the sporting world as well. Um, they're probably the main things. And then, yeah, it was just, it was an experience. I know my career wasn't as long as many people, many other players on that team, but it was like perfect for me. Yeah. Um, and then, so all that while you're playing there, you were then playing for Hermes and you had mm-hmm. your European experience, played Euros. Did yes. You- oh my God, that was such a good crack. Yeah. Oh, it, it was, do you know what was funny about that one was you really saw the discrepancy between like resources and funding and, you know, the different levels in all different countries. Um, like I remember, I think Den Bosch was our first, our first match and they're, you know, I think if not the top, like one of the top three, I'd say clubs in, um, in Holland, I went over to play there. It was a big tournament for like Russian teams, Spanish teams, all that. But yeah, we played Den Bosch and we lost 9-1 and we were actually proud of ourselves for keeping it single figures. <laughs> like, you know, there were girls on that team driving Range Rovers sponsored. Um, you know, we were like talking along, you know, we had various, like we had architects, plastic students, nurses, but we had it on our team, you know. So we were proud of that as you barely cobbled enough, cobbled enough gear together to look re- relatively presentable on and off. <laughs> yeah, like literally people's shoes are hanging off. Do you know, people are using the same stick that they've been using for like 10 years. Yeah, it's like, no, I like it. It's technically illegal, but no, I like it. Bizarre <laughs> walking in there. He's in like the crested, like you got dragons painted all over like cars and stuff. And you, it's just, it is different level. But then you see the playing ability. And you're like, oh god, how how do you, know. how do we bridge that gap? Like, I know. I remember the girls talking about the first short corner and Marsha Powman, who at the time was like one of the best drag flickers in the world. The girls were actually shitting on the line. You're like, oh my god. But yeah, I don't think she got two in, which is a bloody feat in itself. That is that is a, absolutely uh, that's a win. You got to take you got to take yeah. Find them. Uh, haven't been at even yeah. end of an eleven nil thrumping in the EHL. You got to take your wins where you can. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's, uh, it's dark. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> a great experience. Like those tournaments, those, it's something I'm, I'm sure, like I, I would have loved to have get, like been a part of getting the men's back to those kind of tournaments on the men's side. And I'm mm-hmm. sure like you'd love to be able to get, be a part of getting Pembroke back there. I think starting to, if we hadn't had the last two non-seasons think we probably would have been knocking on you guys would be knocking on that door for sure i think everything was 100 
Like, are you excited to try and sort of push on and try and get that get there again with Pembroke? Do you have high hopes? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I think it's definitely feasible for Pembroke. Um, look, there's a lot of competition in Ireland in the UHL, but I do think like we are knocking on the door. Um, yeah, like I, I, I'm really excited to get back. I'm playing Dublin at the minute and training with them, but sure that'll be over. Tends to kind of finish up around August or so, um, depending on the schedule and the club schedule. Um, and then like hockey and EYHL will be starting up normally around August, I think it starts. So yeah, like I'd love to, like the European experience was phenomenal and I would actually love to go Pembroke because there's just such a great bunch of gals as well. Like, you know, it'd be such crack, not only great hockey, but really good fun. Yeah, you get to come to go to some really nice places as well. They always, especially, uh, great to go back to Holland. Have a, a tournament in Holland is like nothing else. Like, it's I know. Class. Yeah. Um, um, amazing. So tell us a little bit then, you mentioned Dublin. Tell us a little bit about that. So you came back to, to, to football after quite a long break. Yeah, so um, it was about 15 years I took because I had to make a decision when I was younger. Um, so at about 16 or 17, I chose to focus on hockey to get me to the States. And I just kind of spiraled from there. Um, like I never really intended to play international. I didn't never thought I was good enough. And that kind of just happened. Um, so after I finished up my international career, I decided to go back and play football. And I played on the junior, which is junior team, like um, who's in hockey. So I played like ha- like kind of like a few matches for them here and there. And then I said, oh, I'll give the one the ones a go. Like I know some of the players from underage. Um, so that was my club. So I played ones, and then after a quick season last year, Mick um, Bowen, the Dublin GAA manager, he gave me a shout. Do you want to do you want to come in and play? And I said I was a bit shocked. I was like, what? Okay, sure. Um, no expectations on my shoulders. Like it had been fifteen years since I'd, you know, played properly. Um, and yeah, just training away with them now. Brilliant. So it's pretty intense, but it's it's good. Yeah, it's you know they're great. It's a really good setup. Again, it actually it's very professional. Um, you know they run it really really well. So I really like it. So how how do you find the differences there? I suppose is it a a step up? I suppose from maybe the club hockey setup, but not quite at international sort of setup. Or or where would it maybe come if that was your sort of spectrum? In terms of um, training and, and, and resources and stuff like that? I would say you're looking at more of an international setup. Um, like you're training, you're training um, Wednesdays, Fridays, Sundays, um, and then gym Friday morning, so you just do a day on Friday and Monday. So like, you know, you're training very, it's very full on. Um, and like the resources are great as well. Like we get fed after every pitch session. Um, you're really well looked after. Um, yeah, they really they really look after their athletes there. They're great. Yeah. So although you're not getting like a professional contract out of it, you're getting at least getting perks and benefits that help make it a lot easier to commit to that kind of a program. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose for me, I'm not really in it for, uh, um, you know, a professional, uh, like I'd never be in it for like a, a monetary benefit. Um, I'm in it because I actually really enjoy it. So anything that comes with it is just an additional perk to me there that's a great way to look at it because that's freeing yeah it's not you're not relying on it. we sat well, sammy was on here yeah. we were talking about we had a bit of a chat about what his time with dublin um 
and we kind of talked about and and we'll get your thoughts and obviously you're you're someone who just wants to play sport for for the love of it and like you said you yeah. moving you know um you're talking about how there's like they they're they're expected to play on a professional schedule but they're amateur players and mm-hmm. i know you know that going into it and maybe it's a, a little bit similar to, i suppose to college players and particularly in the more monetized sports like football and basketball where they're not paid but they are just run to the ground and there's there's a yeah commitment where where do you feel about that do you think it needs to move to rewarding the players a little bit more or is it kind of will you come into it knowing what you're expecting um i I think it's because when you look at something on paper and you set you step back and you you look at the schedule you're kind of thinking look it's 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 pretty cool but when you're physically in it it's very different. It's not just, if, if sport was just the physical element of exercise, everyone would fly it. It'd be fine. There's the mental aspect. There's the emotional aspect. You're physically drained. Your immune system becomes compromised so you can get sick quicker. Your social life becomes compromised because, for example, I'm training Friday, Sundays. I can't, like Saturday day is the only day I have. Um, there's all that with it, and I think that completely takes its toll in addition to the physical element, if that makes sense. So, you know, if you had a job nine to five, like I'm sure when you look at it, you're like, this fits in, it's fine. I'm looking at my schedule at seven, I finish work at five, there's no problems, grand. When you actually are in it, it's very different, like very, very different. Um, like the emotional, mental, whole kind of psych uh, is nearly probably bigger than the physical like you can foam roll and get rid of the physical pain you can't foam roll and get rid of your emotional pain or the kind of drag of it you know yeah so that's where the sort of you've got to start looking at it is do do you need to should we be keeping them having to do both give the free space to be able to deal with all those more more completely i guess like a nine to five successful enough as it is you're probably like you said the physical side of things like realistically if you're not in that sort of setup, you're potentially going, if you're active, you're probably going to be going to the gym three times a week anyway. And you're probably going to be yeah. having a knockabout twice, three times a week. So like, like you said, the physical side of things isn't there, but then you add work stress on top of playing stress, physical stress, mental stress, all that. Like it is, mm. it's a serious weight to take. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it's funny. I, I remember in my first two years of medicine, when I was balancing international wits, with medicine you know people how are you doing it and it only was until this year I suppose last year and a half with COVID when everything got pulled that I realized how much I relied on sports to be my outlet Mm -hmm. um and it actually made me more uh, efficient as a student having sport because I had a deadline I knew training and like maybe people are like this with their work if they've got deadlines and work um I knew I had to have something done by seven because I had training so I would get it done and I'd be very efficient. Whereas when that was taken from me, if I was given three weeks for something, I would take the entire three weeks and I, I never had the outlet. So I, as an athlete, all athletes over the, throughout this country, throughout the world, um, who had sport removed for the last year and a half with COVID would completely agree with that. Like it was, I think you didn't realize how much you needed sport until it was taken from you, from a mental aspect and then from just like being efficient. Um, so although yes, it's, it's mentally draining sometimes to be playing sport and balancing it with work um 
actually acts as a bit of a therapeutic outlet, if that makes sense. Absolutely. There's something cathartic about it. And there's the social interactions yeah. with people. Just, yeah, I, I say it to Orla one day, I was like, I even just miss going in and coaching and having those random little conversations with someone before a training session. Like, yeah, get a little bit of energy off someone who's coming in on a buzz. That's just maybe outside your yeah. friend circle. It's outside of the four or five people you talk to regularly. Just someone says, yeah. gives you a little bit of pep in your step. All those things come in, but they give you structure. Like, uh, I suppose the, well, actually I'll, I'll ask you, how, how did you, how did you fill that hole over the last year and a half when there was no sport day? Um, yeah, it was tough. Like I tried to just get out and do some sort of fitness sessions. Um, and then when gyms closed, I was like, okay, crap. <laughs> so I got, I actually bought dumbbells and I just, you try to bring yourself and stick to a routine, but it, it is tough. Like, you know, it is when you're motivating yourself, it's very hard, but when you have a training at a set time, it's a lot easier. So myself and actually my friend, um, Rebecca down in Nimerick, we used to set a time um, like two or three times a week where we'd meet to do a rowing session. And we said, it doesn't matter what session we do. We just need to have a time where we meet. And that way, if I didn't feel like going, I, I would still go because I'd feel like I'm letting her down. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So um, it kind of made us do something um, to just fill the hole, I guess, like you said. Uh, it was tough. Like, don't get me lying. Like, like, don't get me wrong. Like, there were times when I was like, oh, be arsed. Like, I'd rather just sit in and get a pizza. But, you know, and sometimes I'd lie myself. Um, Those COVID days. Yeah, it was. You're just in a funk. And you kind of just have to let it, yeah. let it happen, let it wash over you, deal with it, and then get up the next day and go, cool, what's next? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's been a, it's been a weird. It's going to be interesting to see now getting seeing sports, particularly more the amateur sports, getting back up and running after such a uh, such a long break. Like you've obviously got a bit of a background in, mm. in science and stuff. Seeing seeing how well people adapt to it. I know we've already had an experience. The gyms, obviously, we were back to outdoor training yesterday yeah and uh gym owner has been talking a lot talking to clients and there is a lot of hesitation we were talking about this we saw it in school as well a little bit coming back to summer sports that uptake maybe isn't high as it normally would be in that this lockdown particularly seems to have been so long that people have now gotten comfortable being comfortable and they're yeah. more to come back into they were they weren't worried about COVID. they're worried about coming back to the training <laughs> the kids aren't showing up for sport because they're used to going home and vegging out on the couch or whatever. I'm sure they're active. At yeah. But there seems to have been almost like this one possibly has been a little bit too long where the other ones were just short enough where you kind of got that itch, but you didn't get into human bad habits and then you got opened up again. Yeah. This one seems to be yeah. that people have gotten really comfortable being comfortable and a little bit lazy. Oh my God. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, I remember when they when they reintroduced it was it back in September or something like sport was allowed to go on for like a couple of weeks yeah. and I'll never forget the first match um in club I played uh for Ga and it was anyway you could have sworn there was a smatter on the pitch there just wasn't enough lead in time there were ankles getting broken there was a wrist broken there was a calf that was torn there was an ACL like literally in a one match it was insane so I really hope that you know teams do take care and actually like gradually build load, especially like you're saying, this was a longer lockdown. So I can imagine the carnage that could happen if you just suddenly played 
a match like you know it, there needs to be a, a gradual kind of reintroduction to load um absolutely yeah we had we had the like, season threes back on the pitch last night and even then i just wanted to play like give some various different versions of just match play because again there was no restrictions on mm-hmm having to do social distance hockey so i was like well let's try and give Mm -hmm. breaks but let's just play various like one ones five aside Mm -hmm. and then like a seven aside but i'm just waiting for the text the text to start coming in of like oh my god i'm broken because yeah even what we did last night was probably too much for the amount of work that's been done over the last few weeks uh but then there's a balance people play i don't know it'll be interesting to see what happens now over the next few weeks yeah I certainly died a slow and painful death last week was my first week done I had to come in two weeks late uh, compared to the rest of the team because I was sitting exams and dear Jesus after the first session I actually thought I'd been hit by not only like a 46A but like a 16 wheeler bus like I was like sweet mother god I'm not 18 anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah 30 30 feels different (laughs) yes yeah I'm 30 flirty but not thriving I'm not thriving (laughs) I don't think anyone is really thriving at the moment to be fair um look you i suppose we'll move on a little bit and you're you're a very proud out woman and how have you found that i suppose in sport first how have you found Mm -hmm. that maybe i don't know as a as a bloody like straight white male which has kind of controlled the narrative wrongly over the last while a lot like obviously from my perspective sport seems to be i don't know what the right word is but there's certainly female sport there is a more of an awareness maybe with with the LG, LGBTQ uh, community there, more so than there would be maybe mm-hmm. the lad side. Um, and yeah. sports in general, not just hockey, I suppose. It's, there's, as, as long as I've been playing, you know, there's always been more of an awareness of, of, of that side of things. Um, how have you found your mm-hmm. experiences? Is there truth in that? Is there not? Um, is it just, actually, it's a reflection of everywhere else and people just don't talk about it? Um, what are, I suppose, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I don't know. I suppose maybe growing up, it was, I remember thinking, people used to say like, oh, lesbians play hockey. But I can, you know, um, from playing hockey and playing GAN, other sports, like, it's not really like that at all. You know, there are some teams that you'll be on, there'll be loads of gay people, there'll be some teams you're on and there's none. Um, it's really kind of down to the person, I suppose. I don't think sport will dominate you know sexuality if that makes sense like you know some people might say rugby there's more gay people I think it just really depends on what team you're on um so yeah I I I, I know what you mean like definitely growing up maybe there were stigmatized uh, stigmatisms um I suppose associated with certain sports but it's certainly not the case I'd say anymore like it's you know being gay is is very much like it's very out now it's it doesn't People don't bat an eyelid at it. It doesn't matter what sport you play. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, do you know? Yeah. Um, and now that's not the experience for everyone. And I'm aware of that. Um, but for me, personally playing sport, like I never had an issue with it, ever. I suppose that I probably had a bit of an issue in college. I, I probably around the time when I began to know I was gay. And I think it was my third year in college that... Um, I ended up dating my teammate, but we actually dated in secret because we were in kind of like the south of of America and it wasn't, not that it wasn't acceptable, but it certainly wouldn't have been as accepted as being straight. Um, And I felt very comfortable. 
the South isn't known for being the most progressive. Let's be honest. No, exactly. And we were we weren't necessarily on on the Bible Belt, but you know, close enough to it. So um, yeah, that that was definitely very tough. Um, because I I remember living in fear, like the guts of a year, year and a half, being like I like I can't sit to anyone. Um, I eventually told people back home, but I never told I never told anyone in college. Like we graduated, um, my girlfriend at the time was a year ahead of me and she graduated and then I graduated and we never said anything. Um, like, yeah, and people probably kind of knew and they used to make comments, but I just tried to ignore them. But that was definitely the only time in sport where I felt that being gay was going to have a negative impact on me, if that makes sense. Whereas when I came home to Ireland, I've never found that I've been at a disadvantage because of my sexuality. Um, even in my career, even then, I haven't really, I suppose I haven't actually physically worked as a doctor yet. Um, but as a student, I've never been disadvantaged because of it. As well, it says it's a great sort of testament to how much Ireland has changed, I suppose, over the last, the last few, let's say, decades, but maybe even more recently, I suppose, only the last decade, really. Uh, it's, yeah. Um, how much it's changed. Was it? So I suppose like coming back, obviously, that's the, you know, obviously I don't want to dwell on the negative, but was it fear mm-hmm. like what your teammates would think, what coaching staff would think or what like supporters and whatever what they would think or where was most of that coming from um, in, that, in that experience and, and what, of why you had to feel like you had to sort of keep it hidden? Um, I think it was fear of being judged by my teammates and then from my coaches I was worried. So they literally, they control your scholarship. They control your funds. They control, you know, pitch time. I was petrified that if she knew she, she'd pull my scholarship. Now, like there was nothing to say that she would do that. It was just what I felt. Um, like she'd never done that to anyone. So I suppose, yeah, it was, it was kind of the fear of the judgment and the kind of social fear. And then there was fear of like, is this, this could impact, you know, my playing and my scholarship here in, in America. Um, but I think that was also underpinned by me not being totally comfortable in myself. Like I wasn't sure I was still trying to come to terms with my sexuality and I wasn't really sure what was going on. So it's very difficult to stand up and, you know, say, yeah, I'm gay. I don't really care what you think if you're actually not sure. Yes. Um, when you're in this like confused mindset, it's very hard to stand up for yourself when you're just not really sure what you're, what you even feel. Um, so I think that's probably where it initially came from. If I had been sure, I'm sure that I would have been more comfortable, but I wasn't sure. So I think that's where a lot of the fear came from. Yeah, I suppose to sort of know it, like you always come across as quite like a confident person and like up for it and everything. So I can only imagine if you knew and were comfortable, like you would have strode into UNC and told him like, <laughs> here, you know, and it, imagine that. With the flag. Yeah, being like, what's up? I suppose then, so the step then to tell your parents or tell home and stuff mm-hmm. while you were in America, yeah. or did you go home, wait till you were sort of on break and go home? Um, I suppose, how did that come around? And I, was that then, was that freeing and did that help you start to sort of feel sure about yourself? Um, definitely freeing, definitely feel sure about myself. And the only way I could describe it is you're just carrying this load on your chest. And when you finally sit, it's like that load has literally just been lifted. You feel literally a million tons lighter. Um, how did it happen? So 
I told my two best friends at home and my one of them was convinced I don't know where she got this idea she was convinced my dad knew so I was about it like I don't know where she got it but I was like okay and uh, I was very worried about my mom my mom's um dad so my granddad um he was very very worried about what she was going to think um and I knew my dad probably wouldn't care so she said okay right um my best friend was like okay you're flying back to the states tomorrow for you know I think I was flying back from for like seven months nearly so I wasn't going to see them and she said right and she shoved me into the sitting room with them and closed the door and she said I'm not letting you out until you tell them uh it sounds aggressive but in hindsight it was the best thing she ever did for me um I told my dad and he didn't care at all and um he was just like look I have to tell your mom and I was like oh shite and I can't really wait till I'm on the plane <laughs> which in hindsight probably wasn't a great idea because I, I should have given them more time to ask me questions um, and to help them come to terms with it. Um, and like, I know everyone has different coming out stories. And some people say, you, you know, you don't necessarily have to come out. It's just kind of, it's nearly like, it's people like putting you in boxes. You'll have to kind of put yourself in a box or declare your box. Um, but for me, it was, it was what I wanted to do to feel better about myself and more comfortable in my situation. So. Yeah, I told my parents, um, then told my family. Um, yeah, I remember telling my brother and it was almost as if I was saying, uh, you know, hey, we're having chicken for dinner. And he was like, cool, yeah. He just didn't, he didn't bat an eyelid. Like, oh, oh, okay. Um, like it was it was a daunting experience, but definitely weight off the chest. Um, yeah, you don't want to suppress that kind of, kind of feeling it was it was it was pretty awful for a while yeah i can i can, I can only imagine like no no experience like like you said we don't like a, a straight person doesn't have to come out and be like yeah that's great it's just yeah okay yeah, yeah so so it's, we, yeah. we'll never really have i suppose that understanding we can uh, i'm sure we'll be able to appreciate but um was it uh underwhelming was it a little bit like oh when there's a couple of like oh grant reactions was it kind of like oh thought there'd be more of a thing about this was that kind of reassuring was it comforting uh that people were so accepting um I know you mentioned it was freeing telling people but was it was the comfort mm-hmm. and reassuring knowing that people were kind of were were perfectly okay with it and barely batted an eyelid yeah definitely I think you build this thing it's kind of like like anything you can you build things up in your head so much um and ante- anticipation is always worse than the actual thing and I think I, I had just built it up that I was just someone to be so ashamed of. I was like, I'm, oh, I'm bloody gay. This is so annoying. Like, everyone's going to be so ashamed of me. No one's going to want to be associated with me. Like, I was really worried about what people would think. But I think if people love you, they really don't care. Um, but you're so worried that people will care. So when they didn't care, it was just reassuring because it meant you know, these people love you and they, all they care about is your own happiness and that your best interests are in their heart. So yeah, it was, it was nice. Yeah. I was lucky. You know, I know not everybody has that experience. There are some people who go through a terrible time. So I do feel very fortunate that I had really good support around me. Yeah. You kind of, you see some of the, the older attitudes and where Ireland has come from and you can understand how people would have more negative experiences and family members or like close or extended that will have opinions that are rooted in old Ireland and it, it, yeah you can see where where they could 
come into trouble, I suppose. But how, how have you seen, I suppose, then, so you family know and everything, you've, you said you had a good experience mm-hmm. in sport or never had really had a negative experience through sport and work. Yeah. Have you noticed then, how have you noticed sort of the wider outside sport and in in the community and stuff how you found that things have changed that little bit more around ireland everyone seems to be that little bit more accepting has that been through your whole journey has that been like since say you know there's the whole gay gay marriage referendum and everything and it really got spoken about more and pulled into the light um of just like uh you know you know accept this basically because you know this is a natural it's a natural part of being a human you know uh <laughs> I, I guess like it's it's there it's straight by gay whatever it's it's part of our makeup no matter what like yeah um definitely i think the referendum was ne- nearly catapulted in or into like society where it was just becoming normalized um it definitely helped and i think it certainly showed with the referendum it showed that people you know are very accepting um and you know, like I, I think it's it's not as big as a deal as it was previously, and and maybe that's also with the church maybe doesn't have as much control on society as it once did, and that could be a part of it. Um, yeah, I just think people are more relaxed, and even some people say like, you know, you don't necessarily have to commit. It's just it's nearly a thing where you like girls, you like boys, you like both. Like it doesn't, you know, people aren't really batting an eyelid. Everyone's kind of just like, you know, you do you now, um, and. I think that's also really nice. As you mentioned, like, like people like to put people into boxes, but the, the I suppose mm-hmm. the point that we want to get to, like you said, is you don't have to come out. It's just that yeah. that is your a preference. Like you like like you said, yeah. girls, you like boys, you like whatever, and you never have to come out to someone and have to justify it to anybody and say, Hey, I am. You can just carry on with your day and hopefully we get to that point. Uh maybe so can be yeah. And the more the internet as well, we're all more connected. There's you can see more, like what's the, what's the campaign? Can't see, can't be. So there's more of that. It's, yeah, the 2021. Yeah, exactly. There's there's like this this parallels with sport, but then also with the LGBTQ community. Um, there is there, mm-hmm. that there's there's more, uh, not airtime. It's, it's I I don't know what the right term is with social media, but there is there's more focus on it. There's more. There's more to see. You, you're connected to more. Yeah. People. It's becoming more. Yeah. Uh, we've spoken enough. D- dead right. Negatives about that, <laughs> but there there are definitely positives to being that that connected. Um, yeah, but, definitely. I mean, sure. Look at Netflix. <laughs> like, there's a there's been a gay relationship in nearly every show now. You know, so people are actually visibly seeing. It. So if you see it, it becomes normalized. Absolutely. Like, I couldn't. We've been watching How to Get Away with Murder, and like, couldn't. Oh yeah. It was like class, absolutely enthralled. We literally every time we've got a chance, it's on. But couldn't imagine <laughs> that show ten years ago, having you know starring male gay couple. Couldn't imagine that having uh, a lesbian couple with like the, the the leads. Like you couldn't imagine that ten years ago. Maybe no. somewhere on something like HBO in America. Obviously, we then get them by extension through us a different boat but where it's like paid for so it's a little bit more it's not mainstream but those are mainstream shows mm-hmm. mainstream yeah characters. so it, it was great to see that that is starting to become the norm more and more um and yeah it, definitely it is what it is what would you what would you say i suppose to um 
to someone we've we've asked this about different things like if there is anyone younger listening that comes across this any advice in in how you would go about it and hopefully maybe like you said maybe down the road they won't even have to worry about coming out as it is yeah there is an element of that still have you any advice to any any young person who's struggling with their sexuality trying to figure things out um and, and how how everyone's got their own journey but any advice that might help them along their way um I think talking about it is is very very important because it allows that weight to get lifted your chest mm-hmm. and then when you're talking about it to someone that maybe you you really trusted a best friend if it's a parent it doesn't matter who it is you can pick one two however many you're comfortable with just be brave enough to maybe say it to them that way again the weight can be lifted off your chest but when you talk to them about it maybe you can help really fine tune your sexuality like do you kind of do you, are you comfortable in yourself and you can get more comfortable the more you talk about it and that will allow you to maybe come out if you, if you have to come out it'll you know allow you to, to do that um but definitely talking helps so much like I don't know what I would have done if it if I didn't have my my best friends helping me like you know they were my rock in it um I'm sure my best friend shoved me in the in the door but you could see sense she was like your dad is not going to care about this like you need them and you need this off your chest like they're your family they love you um so you know you're you can be so overwhelmed and clouded by your sexuality that sometimes you can't really see I sense in a way so when you tell somebody who's maybe more relaxed can kind of see what's going on they'll be able to help you come out if you have to and just come to terms with it yeah, that's great advice um what like is there support or is there something you like to, is there any more you'd like to see change as we go now into the future, either through sport or through, um, through society and stuff, changes that you'd like to see coming up um, that, you know, maybe you've come across and been like, do you know what, this, we've had the, the gay marriage referendum, you know, what's next yeah. to help support and encourage uh, people? Um, i trying to think now. I suppose I look I haven't I haven't worked as a an official gay person in in the work environment I don't know if it's something that maybe needs to be um maybe more aware or people need to be made more aware of in a work environment like I can't speak for for medicine but I would hope that you know people feel like they're not going to get a promotion that they feel like they can't get a promotion because of their sexuality I think that would have to be really important people need to be made more aware of it the other side of it is in terms of kids like I don't know the actual law at the minute but there are difficulties around say surrogacy um, and having um kind of uh what is your on your healthcare derivatives but your say say for example the child gets sick um the surrogate mother has complete control over what um happen child so what treatments that child can get I think with just certain things like that like adoption for gay people like it's quite difficult at the moment in Ireland and I think that needs to change um like there's certain laws that are just they're very restricting um you know and that, so yeah I suppose that's kind of the main thing that needs to change and then in the work again yeah just I would hope that nobody is being demoted or not achieving motion because of their sexuality because i still think some workplaces are like that yeah you know there's some there's even some stuff in medicine that's very male dominant very patriarchal and you know i know a lot of girls in my course want to go down one or two routes but they know 
it's it's predominantly men and they are not going to get as far as far as quick as their male counterparts and I think that's that's not just a sexuality issue that's that's like I suppose a female issue as well yeah that's true because there's still those pockets and they're probably bigger than pockets and maybe saying pockets actually you know minimizes it but there there's there are still sort of archaic uh sections that are still mm-hmm. even, you mentioned the, the sort of the laws and stuff and there's still a lot of his and her in the constitution and i think there's mm-hmm. as things come up they're rewording things better but there's still a lot of male female uh language in there as far as i know so there's still things there that will obviously become an issue as we move on and there's still males in power in the in the areas that are obviously going to try and hold on to to that power and there's old people that still resist <laughs> change you know so yeah yeah it's understandable that you, you it's not it's not okay but you can understand where those pockets are why they are still there because people are old the old style is still clawing onto yeah. whatever it can i suppose yeah or even the church like i suppose i know in germany this um, i was watching the news this morning and um some priests are actually um you know they're allowing the, uh, their they're blessing gay marriage at the minute you know, and they're one of the first countries to do it. Like, it would be great in Ireland they did that. Like, I can't get married in church. I think churches are gorgeous buildings. Like, I'm not entirely religious. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, I'd love to have the option of that, um, but I don't. So something like that would be would be good. But again, Catholic Ireland, I'm not sure that's necessarily in the pipeline for the next few years, you know, so. Unfortunately, the, the Catholic church aren't the most, uh, the most changeable group. They're pretty, mm-hmm. pretty stuck in their way, a bunch of old men. Um, <laughs> I can't say that I'm in any way religious, mainly for those reasons. <laughs> um, so then, like, even uh, you mentioned the 2020 ca- uh, campaign earlier, we sort of talked about the slogan. How, how have you seen, you, you, like, you, you've been a high-level female athlete and, and then moving on, on from sort of the, your experiences, um, you know, as a lesbian in sport, but then as a woman in sport, how are you finding that changing over the last few years? I do think there's been a shift, but I don't think the shift is enough. I go on, uh, do you know the 42.ie? It's like the journal kind of sports section. Yeah. Literally, there's one female article, um, you know, page, and there might be, on that page, there might be 20 articles in total. Like, it's still, it's still not near at all like I think it's great that um, the GAA announced equal funding for men and women yesterday that's phenomenal that's a really big push but it's just the actual promotion of the sports is just it's incomparable it's still incredibly unequal um, throughout the world and throughout all sports like you know you've Katie Taylor who is literally the best individual at her sport hands down and she's still not getting near enough attention like it's ridiculous to me um I still I think the 2020 campaign was brilliant and it certainly helped but you know it's a it's a drop in the ocean like there needs to be a lot more wave created um and I don't know the answer to that um it's it's very difficult I think there's it's such it's a very complex situation between resources between I suppose even the population people wanting to watch sport. you can't force us you know someone to watch something but you can you can try by putting it on the TV. And I really don't think TV channels are so 
driven by money that I just don't think it's going to be difficult. Like it's a difficult thing, but I, and I don't know the answer, but yeah. It's, it's a hard, I suppose it's a hard problem to solve. And like the 2020 campaign starts the ball rolling, gets things moving, but needs to pick up, keep going. There's, I suppose yeah. for now, there's always going to be a bit of a discrepancy when it comes to money, not necessarily pay, mm-hmm. but like you said, viewership and all that male sport has been so established for the last like hundred years, maybe a little bit more, mm-hmm. it, uh, maybe say fit. Well, I'm not sure when the TV was invented, but say last 50, 50 to 75 years. Now you've got TV. Um, and then there's been this explosion of, obviously there's been female sport for the last, I don't know how many years, but there's now this explosion and it is maybe it is just going to take time to catch up. But people with money on the male side need to start redirecting those funds more into female sport. I think it's probably going to be the only way that you start to to uh, to raise all boats, you know? Yeah. Because um, like we watched, we started watching the, the women's rugby when it was on the Six Nations. Yeah. Never yeah. watched women's rugby before. Never at all. But yeah. There's so much talk yeah. that it was like, do you know what, actually? Let's sit down and give this a go. There's no sport on. There, there mm-hmm. wasn't any other sport on. We, you know, in the middle of COVID, there's nothing to do. Um, we sat down and we're like, do you know what? Let's let's give this a watch. You know, you could see it's not maybe quite at the standard. Like, and as they said themselves, there, there's talk of, you know, players haven't come through academies because there is no academy. Well, maybe there's somewhere where, why doesn't the IRFU put themselves, put their hand in their pocket with the money from the men's side and fund that take cj's mm-hmm. contract that's disappeared chuck three hundred thousand into into developing the like underage section of women's rugby for example yeah redirect those funds somewhere because the lads have enough of it um but then again the viewership needs to come up so you can understand why maybe i don't know the nba final is going to uh generate more money than the was a wnba final yeah Mm-hmm. If 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 it's possible, if it's a venue, then they should be put in equal venues. If it's a you know they should be promoted as much as possible. You're taking a bit of a hit on your your financials from maybe the NBA, but like there's an opportunity there to promote it, and then over time yeah. you'll start to get more viewership. The more resources into the women's game, then that standard of that increases because we're still mm-hmm. you, you are still playing catch up to two men's sport where they've already you know they weeded out a lot of the the weaker athletes you even see the like the difference between men's sport now and men's sport like 30 even 30 years ago 20 years ago now yeah what's they'd whoop 20 years ago's ass even if that was like a yeah game, yeah you know so maybe it's just going to take time to catch up or thanks standard i don't know went off on a bit of one there yeah no yeah no i agree with you definitely sure men have been you know men playing sport is is it's been around for jesus ever um whereas women playing sport is something that actually if you look at it in the brandings it's in its infancy so things are not going to just change overnight so you're right in saying that yeah yeah but but definitely i think uh was it i think it was elon musk had a quote about he likes to think so someone's like oh you know you, you i'm gonna give myself five years to do this thing he's like well do you know what? i'm actually gonna give myself six months and if i fail i fail but i'm gonna be much closer to completing it than if i give myself five years and maybe that's that's what we need with women's sport is actually you know we need to try and push this now as hard as possible and put as much effort into getting it to catch up 
as fast as possible so that yeah that's the only way really it's going to catch up soon do you know mm-hmm. yeah no definitely i agree with you just a bit of a thought yeah i went off on a bit of one there um <laughs> <laughs> that's I, allowed it's your I, podcast yeah true that uh so i suppose then uh medicine you're moving into that uh wide wide open new world have you got any do you want to specialize in anything do you want to just get started and see where where the world takes you uh what what do you want to happen next now that if if, when when you get well (laughs) oh please god i'm not really just as pleased light a candle um but yeah so i've put down um a few rotations and i i really enjoyed my time in the ed um and i like surgery um i that's like GP I find it too static for me um and I find that you're not working in a team I suppose as a sports uh, person and you're used to working in teams so I want to be in that kind of environment and I find kind of hospital medicine might be the best thing to replicate that um if I were to pick three fields I probably now generally three of them I like the ED and I like surgery because I find them actually very similar in mindset the problem comes in and you identify it and in the ED you pass them on to the um, specialist or in surgery, you identify the problem, you fix it and you pass them back to the medicine team. It's very much, it's just straightforward. It's very logical. Whereas if you're working in hospital, kind of a medicine team, you tend to be poking and prodding and trying to find the problem. I'm not really interested per se in that, but look, my mind could change in it here. Um, I also like um, OBGYN, which is obstetrics and gynecology. So that's gynecology and um, pregnancy. I really enjoyed my rotation in that, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to go. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, time will tell, I suppose. You got to get in there and figure it yeah. out. The, the idea of yeah. those is, is great, but until you actually get in there and start doing it for an extended period of time, you won't really know if it is, is for you or not, I suppose. Um, exactly. Have you got anything lined up straight out of, when did you say it was September you can start? August? um we start in june actually they're bringing us in early please god um we're end of june is when uh we start so i won't find out where i'm going what hospital i'm in i think it's the episode out in early june um i've applied for all because i'm sick of moving out around the country so i'm hoping if i pass my exams or when i pass my exams um that i will get somewhere in dublin and i don't mind where i'll just take it and roll with it I suppose once you get in, if you can get in somewhere, then you can, you've got the bargaining to move somewhere else once you get some experience. Um, exactly. Grand. Oh, that's very exciting. Uh, <laughs> um, any, any advice? Cause there's, I'm sure medicine is on the top of plenty of people's uh, lists, but you've kind of come to it in a roundabout way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's some people that are like, oh, I want to do medicine, but like, ah, I'll, I'll never really get there. And then maybe never actually circle back to get there. Uh, yeah. Other- let's go straight off like oh, i'm gonna get my seven years done now and go for it um yeah any 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 thoughts for, from your experiences of doing it are you happy you did it the way you did it um would you like to have done it at the start or obviously you wouldn't have figured it out by then i suppose but uh any advice for those coming back to coming to medicine later on um I cannot speak for the people who are straight in after their leaving cert, but I will say coming in at this stage was so much better for me. Um, I was someone who I never achieved incredible grades in school. I was never, I was always under the assumption that the people who do medicine are the ones who get 600 points. And I think that is probably one of the biggest misconceptions of, of medicine. Um, you do not need 600 points 
you just need to have general cop on actually want to do it so for me i sat something called the gamsat so that's basically an entry into graduate entry medicine that means that if you pass that exam you can do medicine four years as a graduate program so that's what i took and after you sit that you get straight in you've a degree already behind you and you're with mature people who have had a degree they may have worked some even have kids and realize that this is exactly what they want to do so when you're with those kind of people I think it makes the degree not easier but certainly more enjoyable maybe I'm not sure what the word is but um you know you're not 18 or 19 learning concepts that are going to save someone's life you've kind of lived a bit of life and you've made a degree like I said or had a background experience in something else so you know medicine is what you want to do because you've tried something else um and I think that speaks volumes. You're also, medicine isn't just about being able to treat someone. It's about communication and having actual personal skills, communication skills, which is probably more important, if I'm honest. If you can have general cop on and call for help when you know help is needed, you're going to be a, like a decent doctor. Whereas if you're somebody who's cocky and academically are brilliant and you know the answer, that's dangerous, you know? Um, so I'd say for people who wanting to do kind of medicine, I actually really recommend the route I did. And that's the route that the majority of the world use. The US use it, Australia use it. There's a reason they use it. We're just kind of one of the unique ones where you just in, you know. Yeah. I think that's good advice for, for anything. Like yeah. Is that having that bit of cop on that perspective with a, of a few ex, a few years experience under your belt. Uh, I think it's huge. Uh, it, it it certainly made life far simpler for me when I went back to study. Like, um, so like not just for medicine. Like, I can only imagine just having a bit of life experience, uh, mm-hmm. cop on and the awareness to be like to to know, uh, you know what to do and then how to communicate. Yeah, I found it going back with like eighteen-year-olds. You know, like you guys don't know how to speak to people. How are you gonna go in and yeah. go do physio or whatever it is you're gonna do next? Like, yeah, you're gonna get laughed out of places. Good luck to you. Like, but I know they <laughs> so true. Mental, but you, you're absolutely right, and it should be something that we look at. But it, it's great advice, not just for doing medicine, but it's it's fascinating that the system has a setup that like you have to pick and then you have to go and do it, and that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Not. I know. I know. Um, that's why I think the US system is really, really good. You go, you apply to a college, don't apply to the course. And then for your first two years in the college that you applied to, you're kind of mixing and matching, matching and doing whatever subjects you want. And then you pick your major because you've tried certain subjects. So you generally have a better idea. It doesn't mean you have to use that degree. Like, I don't know many people who actually use their degree, but um, you know, it gives you maybe a little more direction than you think you might do after yeah. college, which is hugely important. Um, you can cut out a few things. You get you have time to yeah. make some mistakes and mess around and figure out things out. But it is yeah, it's setting you up for the masters or the the post grad, whatever it might be that you <laughs> take and go. Because how many how many people have gone and done a degree straight out of school here even, and they've never used it. Most of them end up in different different professions anyway because they're just yeah pigeonholed into something straight out the gate they do it because they're supposed to do it and they end up going mm-hmm. back to the masters in something completely different and and that's not even yeah. talked about in school you know i know 
gap, the value of a gap year, I think people are just so, oh, I have, I have to get these points. There's so much focus on getting points on the leaving cert and then getting the course you want to direct your life. And it's just, for lack of a better word, it's flipping horseshit. Like take a year out, work, figure out what you want to do and then go back and do a degree. Like it, it you know, society has these checks in place that you feel like you need to be ticking boxes and as your life is on. And it's ridiculous. I think you have to move at your own pace. Like fair enough, there are people in fifth year who know I want to do medicine and that's thing off you go. The majority, 99% of people do not know that. So I think it's just the, the value of the leaving cert is just, it, it's, 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 yeah, they put far too much emphasis on it, I think. Yeah. It's not, the, the best decision I ever made was dropping out of college just before Christmas in my first year. I was like, this is yeah. shite. I'm out. Yeah. People were like, oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with your life? I was like, oh, I don't know, figure it out. And sure enough, yeah. figure it out. And it all worked out. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Look what? at you now. Yeah, I know. Talking shite down a microphone. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I'm not much better. <laughs> we, we will start to move towards the end. I suppose something I started asking, um, particularly those that are sort of still playing, played, and this will sort of serve as a wrap-up question unless you have anything to add afterwards. But I suppose, what are the biggest, biggest lessons that you've taken from sport that you've then carried on into the rest of your life? um it's lessons wow um i would say the value of hard work would definitely be um time management and communication definitely will be another mm-hmm. um and i think for me i began to realize that you really need to surround yourself with supportive people I think that's invaluable in what you're doing in life, not just sport. You need to surround yourself with people who may not necessarily fully understand what you're going through, but they respect you and they're going to be there for you no matter what. Um, because that will allow you to excel in your sport or in life in general. Um, they're probably the main things I take. And com- oh, compartmentalize. Um, that's a big one. So the majority of people are in Ireland are not, so they don't you know, they have to compartment, or sorry, they have to like balance jobs or school or whatever it is. So I would say compartmentalize things is brilliant. So like if you're in school, you're in school. If you're actually pitch for pitch and that's it, you don't bring, you don't blend them. You don't bring one to the other. Um, that's like it for all walks of life as well. Sport, but definitely I'd say that. It's a really nice thought. I like that, the, the compartmentalizing thing. No one's really said anything like that before. I, I really like that. It's good. <laughs> you do need to be able to do that and leave your baggage at the door. Uh, yeah. Johnny Karen was coaching us for a while. And one of the things that he said was, was like that white line mentality of like you, you, the second you step across that white line, you leave everything that's happened in the day behind step in and you're mm. hockey and playing. And that is at its essence is that ability to compartmentalize. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's an invaluable piece of kit. If you can add it to your toolbox for sure yes definitely so Sinead I suppose as we are wrapping up here um is there anything else that you you sort of you know you've got got a bit of a platform here if there's anything you want to want to <laughs> if you're happy to to leave it there then that's absolutely fine either but if there's anything you know anything on your mind that you want to get out get out to people get out to me get off your chest go for it you're my agony aunt are you 
Um, honestly, I think we talked about some really good good things um, today with sport and the LGBTQ, just life in general, you know. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for having me on. No problem. You've been a great guest. Yeah. Up. Uh, been lovely. <laughs> Thank to- you. Hopefully we'll get. Yeah, to- lovely to catch up. Yeah, hopefully we'll get to see you in person. I know. Absolutely. Yeah, please God. Once the country opens up a bit more, and anyway. I know that'd be fantastic. Well, look, we'll we will we will wrap it up and we'll leave it there. Shane, you've been class. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thank you. Probably. And good luck now with the other podcasts. Thank you very much. Um, okay, guys, if you have enjoyed this interview, uh, show us by hitting the like button, subscribe to the channel, and keep an eye out uh, here for another episode of Clubhouse Conversations. And we'll see you then.